Positive Regression, a motorsports analytics podcast. I'm Alan Kavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, hey, we're getting real, and we're getting real crazy. Real, of course, about the situation in the world and where we go from here, particularly in racing. And we're getting real crazy about what we think NASCAR could be if you were to be completely irrational. We're going to give it a try. We usually deal with the rational on this podcast, but we're going to give this a try. But first, as always, this is episode 53 of Positive Regression. This is the Bob Burdick edition, David. Uh, these numbers in the 50s get a little thin on big names, but I'm having fun learning about some of these old timers. One of them is Bob Burdick, who drove a number 53, David, and he is from Omaha, Nebraska. What do you know about him? You know, when you look at the list of drivers that won just even one NASCAR Cup Series race, you look for names that aren't familiar, and that sort of begins the rabbit hole. Well, one of those names on that list, for me, is Bob Burdick. And Alan, between 1959 and 1962, Bob Burdick made 15 Cup Series starts. He won once. He scored nine top 10 finishes and he won two poles. And then that was it. It was over. That was his, that was his career. Now, seven of those starts took place at Daytona, but his win came at Atlanta. He scored two top five finishes at Darlington. So this feels substantial. So who was he? Well, Bob Burdick drove for his father, Roy, who was also a respected engine builder in the Midwest at the time. And father and son Burdick ran short tracks together. They had success and soon decided uh, that they wanted to run in what is now the NASCAR Cup Series uh, back in 1959. And at the end of 59, Burdick was drafted into the U.S. Army. When And when he was on leave, hmm. he would use his free time to compete in the Cup Series <laughs> and actually perform very well. Pretty wild stuff. Now, they were an independent team. They were competing out of Omaha, Nebraska on what was really a short track budget. And even at that time, budgets mattered a lot in racing. And he eventually ran out of the money to, to compete with those in the cup series on a more regular basis. So he transitioned to super modifieds in Nebraska, Kansas, and Iowa and claimed some regional titles before retiring. To this day, he's the only driver from the state of Nebraska to win a cup series race and the only driver to win while driving a number 53 car. Interesting stuff. I knew the Nebraska thing had to be at least somewhat unique because when I saw Omaha, Nebraska, I was like, Ooh, who is this guy? Bob Burdick. Uh, David, as you mentioned, he won in Atlanta appropriately where we should have been racing last weekend. Uh, so odd coincidence there. And, but when looking up that race, uh, he beat Rex White, NASCAR Hall of Famer, third place that day, Ralph Earnhardt, Ned Jarrett in fifth, Marvin Panch in sixth. Also in that race, Richard Petty, Junior Johnson, Curtis Turner, Fred Lorenzen, David Pearson, and many other names you would recognize. So that one win by Bob Burdick uh, certainly recognized, and he beat a lot of good talent in Atlanta way back when in the 50s. Pretty good stuff. 
bums. The lot of them, they couldn't compete with Bob. Yeah. No, that's it. it and like I said, I mean, it, you just never know. You see names that pop up on these lists and look, go, go ahead, follow your curiosity and see where it leads you. But this is a really cool story and kind of wild. Like if, if we extrapolated, um, his career out even further, you're looking at a, you know, potential 20 race winner. And that's not a career to sneeze at. I mean, this, this guy was a legitimate talent and we didn't see much of him. Yeah. We, and unfortunately we've all got a lot of time on our hands in the next few weeks. So uh, do some research. There's some really cool stories out there. Go by numbers, go by wins. Uh, listen to this podcast. You'll learn a lot. And speaking of David, that the time off that we have right now, uh, what, what a place in the world we are right now. Obviously, we're all dealing with this coronavirus around the world, in the United States, in the sport specifically. And if you allow me, David, I'll just take a minute. I mean, just to say this sucks. I tweeted it the other night. This sucks. I hate it. I was def- I was deflated when I suddenly wasn't going to the track last Friday. You know, we all got the email. The schedule has been changed around. We're racing Friday night. I'm like, all right, let's do this one day show couple minutes later, it all switched. I was even more deflated when two weeks off suddenly turned into maybe two months off, if not more. I've spent my entire life enjoying this sport. I've made it my life's goal to make this sport my life. And for nearly eight years now, this sport has been my sole source of income. This is this is big. So yeah, for everyone listening at home, I mean, they you know how awful this is, but we can't forget that this suffering is collective. It's not just racing. It is everything right now. And every sport that we and others enjoy, we're all suffering. But with that hope and the suffering and what we're going through and missing things, I hope we gain two things, David, perspective and appreciation. Perspective. This is just racing. It's an enjoyment. It's our distraction for many. There's so much serious stuff going on in the world right now with this virus. People are dying. Our loved ones are in danger if they are elderly, especially, and we all have elderly loved ones. Uh, jobs and money are being lost in scary ways. Uh, I think enough days have passed that the country has come to realize that, you know, attitudes have shifted. Um, that's a good thing, obviously. If you don't make a living off the sport, think about it this way. It's just cars going around in circles. Those cars will be back. And that's something to think about, which leads me to the appreciation factor of this. All the things that made me mad and made me deflated, those come from a place of love. I love racing. I love the history of it we just talked about. I love the competition, the relationships it's given me. Uh, I'm missing it all right now. I am, you know, missing timesheets. I'm missing practice times, entry lists. I'm missing qualifying orders. <laughs> but most of all, I think I'm glad that I have something worth missing. So there are plenty of battles to fight right now, missing some racing in the grand scheme of things, is not one of them, especially with something putting people in danger. So with that, let's, again, get some perspective, have some appreciation, and when racing does come back, as scheduled, hopefully in Martinsville, let's sell out Martinsville and then have a big party. I promise you I'll be there. I hope you all can join us. Beautifully said, Alan. And I appreciate you taking the charge on uh, social media last week, speaking Truth, speaking from the heart and swatting the gnats that buzzed around you all while doing that. Uh, I know that this time of uncertainty is going to spark differences of opinion, especially in NASCAR. And some of those differences are coming out of a panicked place. I believe it's fair to say 
There are industry jobs at stake, not only due to the loss of race-to-race revenue, because some teams don't have the luxury of budgeting for a work stoppage, but also the wider economic reaction that might soon happen. My job is at stake, frankly. I'm a stats writer for NASCAR, for a subscription website, and folks, that is a niche of a niche of a niche, (laughs) and... I'm fully aware of the high likelihood I have of being laid off. I'm non-essential to my job. Uh, I, I think I'm good at it, but let's face it. I'm a stats analyst. I'm a luxury. And when purse strings tighten, it's the luxuries that go first. But having said all of this, in keeping our distance from one another, I believe we're reacting appropriately right now. We might not flatten the curve of this pandemic, but our actions can certainly crush the height of the arch. And that should be our goal. I'd rather be alive and have those close to me alive than be employed. Because what is wealth without health? What is wealth without happiness? There is no denying this time in the world is strange and not to anyone's liking. But if the alternative is poor health, or even death, I'll learn to survive and thrive within the strange, as should we all. You know, I know we have uh, some positive regression listeners in this profession. Uh, so uh, shout out to those right now in the medical field, those working in hospitals, clinics, doctor's offices, pharmacies. Their jobs were already s- stressful as they were. Lives of others are in their hands and on the line every day, but now the intensity is high, and I appreciate what they do already and what they're going through right now. Their jobs, not our jobs, their jobs are essential and always will be. So, Alan, let's move forward. Let's have ourselves a podcast about NASCAR, shall we? Yes, and uh, well said, David, because, yeah, I, I think in learning that I think it's okay to say and realize in the grand scheme of things, we are non-essential, right? I mean, all of us, unfortunately, in sports, when it comes down to life and death and global pandemics, sports are non-essential. Sports are a release. Sports are uh, a, a fun hobby and an enjoyment that we get because uh, we, you know, live fun lives and we get to enjoy these things. So uh, it's perspective when we learn, I think, that unfortunately we are not essential, but that's not taking away from anybody or anything. And uh, I, I know, you know, Brett Griffin mentioned it on, on Door Bumper Clear. You know, him and I had an exchange on Twitter and sometimes it gets lost in translation in a hundred plus characters. But, uh, I think we all came around to an understanding, especially in the days that have passed. But, uh, sometimes it's, uh, it takes that. But to your larger point, David, yeah, realizing you're non-essential, it can be tough sometimes, but the, to the essential people right now, uh, we need you and we appreciate you. And if you do have time and if you are at home, uh, we will keep you as entertained as possible in talking about NASCAR. And uh, getting to today's topic, I mentioned in the beginning of the show, David, you know, normally we're a very rational podcast, if not the most rational. So rational, you may not even understand it sometimes because of the numbers you can data mine and dig up and analyze and all that stuff. So we're going to flip the script a little bit and try to come up with the most irrational uh, version of NASCAR or maybe our dream version. How would you describe it? What, what was the assignment here, David? 
Yeah. So I, I was trying to think about this too. There probably isn't a NASCAR podcast out there that has not touched this subject. What would we do to NASCAR if we were in charge of NASCAR? What might we change? And a lot of these discussions are treated super seriously and then ultimately come down to them keeping everything the same, but changing one small thing or, or, or something. And, and really that's not, that's not interesting. That's not, that's not change. Uh-oh. Some of them are inadvertently irrational. Well, I think it's time Alan and I attempt this exercise with an important twist. We are trying to be irrational. We want to create the wildest versions of NASCAR humanly possible with ideas that could happen in this day and age. I don't think we any of us are going to suggest that we race spaceships from one galaxy to the next. But these are things that I think is the real NASCAR would never go for. So, Helen, I approached you mm. with this idea the other day. You offered some hesitance in your response, but now you claim that you have something interesting. So we'll take turns here. Alan will go first and then uh, with his iteration of NASCAR, and then I will uh, deliver mine. We'll hold a discussion after each irrational version of NASCAR is revealed. But uh, Alan, um, four or five things that you would change to NASCAR. The floor is yours. Let's get weird. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to build to a crescendo on mine because I don't think mine are going to be as good as yours. I didn't take the assignment as as well. Pace, I didn't have to fill this. Yeah. Okay. All right. So first of all, first thing I'm going to change in my irrational version of NASCAR, which I think can be rational. I'm a proponent for more racing, not less. I know there are people who want to shorten the schedule. I think we can do at least 50 races a year and do it in less time, David. Double oh. headers, double headers, midweek races. People like racing. I like racing. If you like racing, you're listening to this. I mean, reverse that. If you like racing, wait, you're listening to this because you like racing. So I think there should be more racing, not less. That's my first irrational version of NASCAR, at least 50 races per season. Okay. All right. Keep going. Okay. Uh, next up, let's see. I would go with, uh, limited inspection. Uh, you, so I, I just, I want, I, I love the gray area. I love the innovation. So, but there has to be some start, right? There has to be a starting point. You have to start at zero, if you will. You got to pass every weekend. You got to pass the lasers before this is at the beginning of the weekend. You got to pass the, the big black tent, the lasers. You got to have, everyone's got to have the same standard engine. You can't have like crazy, whatever, you know, big block engine, you know, you can't be too crazy. You got to make weight. You got to be safe, all that stuff. But once you pass once, that's it. Have at it. Uh, that's where I want the innovators to come in. That's when I want the cheating to start. Uh, safety violations. You can't have those. If you get caught with a safety violation, that's a 10 race suspension and no playoff. But what I'm going wow. for here, yeah, again, what I'm going for here is innovation. I don't mind innovation. I don't mind the smart minds, the crew chiefs, the engineers. You pass tech once at the beginning of the weekend, then have at it. Just don't mess with safety. That's number two for me. Okay. Uh, next up, uh, this one's, I'm sorry, but no 500 milers beyond the obvious. Daytona, Coke 600, Southern 500, and the fall Talladega race. Those are my only 500 mile races. That's kind of a, a giveaway. I'm sorry. Uh, number four, I think we make Indianapolis, the brickyard, some sort of a spec race or I like IROC. I'm sorry. I love Indianapolis. It has lost its luster. 
uh, being there or being, uh, you know, an adolescent or growing up at the big time when, uh, the brickyard, they, they had just gone there and it was such a huge deal. It was such a big deal. So many cars, like 60 plus cars showed up for the qualifying, you know, 300,000 plus people. The brickyard NASCAR there was such a huge deal. It's my favorite racetrack because of its history. And I just hate what it's become in terms of smaller crowds, the racing not so great. So I say throw out the playbook, bring out 40 of the same car, 36 of the same car, paint them different colors, and let them let the drivers have at it. Make it its own special entity, if you will. It's kind of like the Indy 500 does, right? I mean, they kind of throw out different rules to have the special Indy 500. Make the Brickyard 400 special again. Make it a spec like IROC race back in the day. That's uh what that was number four for me. That was number four, yeah. Okay, and here's 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 where it gets interesting, right? Here's where it gets complicated, David. How we pick a playoff and champion. Remember my playoff and championship format, okay? So I like the playoff format, I'm keeping that. But in my version of NASCAR, twelve drivers only make the playoff. A thirteenth, if we have twelve winners, then the 13th driver who had the most uh, points without a win, they get in. So a maximum of 13, but I'm thinking only 12. 12 drivers make the playoff. You following me? Here's where it gets yeah. complicated. Okay. <laughs> we have the, 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 the playoff eliminations go as followed. We go from 12 to 8 and then 8 to 3. Three drivers compete for the championship. But, David, there's an asterisk. Those three drivers then have a final round of three races. The points of those three races are cumulative. So there's no longer one race at the end that just crowns a champion. It's a final round of three races, three qualified drivers, and it's cumulative points that determine the final champion. Here's the one more caveat where it gets even more interesting. Remember how I said it goes from 12 to 8 to 3? So you have the three drivers who are set to compete for the title. If one of the or two of the remaining final eight, follow me here, three are in the championship round, that leaves five left over. If one or two of those five win one of those last three races, they then become again championship eligible. Follow me? Okay, re-entry. Yeah, oh, re-entry. But the twist with them is if you are one of the re-entry drivers. You have to go into Phoenix, and you have to win the first stage, the second stage, and the race if you want to win the championship. And that is my crazy idea for crowning a champion. Huh. Okay. So you potentially have different drivers on different championship formats in the final race, but at least it would be exciting. That, to me, is a Game 7 moment if someone has to go out there and win the first stage, the second stage, and the race to win after you have re-entered your way in. I seriously feel like I just walked into like a dark back room in like a Vegas casino and there is a game being played in a language that I don't know and I have no idea what's transpiring with if, this this playoff format. If this I could write it out wild. on paper, it, it was really tough. But again, 12 to 8 to 3 and in a perfect world, the 3 would have three races at the end and their points would be cumulative. So at the end of Phoenix, whoever has the most points in those three races is your champion. It's no longer just winning, you know, walk off into the sunset. But if you want to throw a wild card in there, if you win, what is the Martinsville in Texas? If you win one of those, you're suddenly thrust back into the championship player, uh, into the picture for Phoenix, but you got to go out and dominate if you want to win the championship. Okay, so let's back up. All okay, right, so, so let's start. Let's start from the top here. Um, <laughs> Fifty plus races. Are you 
trying to force team members to unionize against you here? Like, cause that is just a lot of work, uh, with today's technology and, and today's day and age. Look, I mean, you said to be irrational. I can't okay. come up with all the answers. I'm just saying we like racing, right? So let's get more racing, not less. Okay. And we all can right. do more racing in a shorter amount of time. I know. Just I, I, I want to play some devil's advocate. Okay. I know. I know. Um, limited tech. I love it. That is that is fantastic. Safety's fine. Um, but you went you went uh, on, uh, pre-race tech only. That is interesting. Yeah, I think. Well, um, I, th- I think you have to start. At, there has to be a zero point, right? I feel okay. like there has to be some point of equality where it just. There has to be some rules, right? There has to be some baseline, and then everyone can have at it. I, I just – you can't have I – mean, remember the cattywampus cars, the ones that shifted over to the left, and they got all sorts of Bondo and all this stuff? Yeah, like, those are great. I, they're, they're very enjoyable to watch. Uh, well, then I want the Bondo being done at the garage. I mean at the racetrack, not at the shop oh. all week. Oh, well, what's what's Tommy Baldwin going to do after 5 o'clock? I don't know, but the car's <laughs> got to look the same when they get to the racetrack and at least make okay. it through inspection. Right. Okay. Um, no 500 milers outside of the big races. I'm going to be honest with you, Alan. I don't think that's irrational. I think that Sorry. is wholly <laughs> rational. But – I, why, I mean, why stop there? Why does Darlington have to be 500 miles? Why, does, why do we have to run 600 miles of Charlotte? That is a long tradition. Yeah. When has tradition been a good idea? Why, why has that been the sole reason to do anything? Uh, it's the old school in me. I don't know. I, I, it's, okay. just, it's something I, you protect, uh, protect the big ones and the rest, you can do whatever. 300 miles, double headers, 150s, whatever. Yeah. I, th- I actually feel like that is something that is going to happen. And, and I, and I don't, I don't know anything about anything pertaining to that, but that feels very realistic to me, I think. Okay. Let's move on to your fascination with Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Love shall it. We? I, Love it. I rock, I rock at Indianapolis. I think you are infringing on Aaron Bearden's territory here and you don't even realize that, but <laughs> th- th- that's okay. He's a listener. Hi, Aaron. Why, why only this track for, for the spec cars? It just, the last what, 10, 15 years? I just feel like they can't get it right at Indy or they don't know what right is at Indy. You know what I mean? You know, I can appreciate an ass kicking. I can appreciate a car winning by seven seconds and the engineering and driving that goes into all that. But I want the show. I, I want people, I want the casual fan, like the Indianapolis 500, if it's the one race you're going to watch all year. Uh, you're gonna see, you see a show. I want, I want the pack, I want a pack of 36 cars going around Indianapolis Motor yeah. Speedway somehow because I want people to hear Indy and be like, wow, the Indy 500, uh, even if you don't watch any other race, you know, people think about Indianapolis Motor Speedway, tune in, see NASCAR and see all those beautiful cars going around the best track in the world. Okay. So why, why only that track? Are there any other tracks? Because you're, you, these, these spec cars are being made and they're going to run at Indianapolis, which you, you didn't change which races are in the playoffs. So Indian, I mean, this smack in the middle of July, right? So you're, you're having a different kind of preparation for a race in July. Why not go to some other tracks with a spec car? Maybe I just have an, an affinity and love and that, that just stood out because I want okay. it to be something so much more like it okay. used to be than it is now. All right. Alan Kavana back home again in Indiana. Absolutely. Gotcha. All right. Um, okay. Now 
the playoff system. Um, 12 or 13, then it goes from 12 or 13 to 8 to 3. The, the three race round, uh, to decide it. I like a three race finale, by the way. All, all three different track types would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I appreciate that it's now a three week long contest. You can get some juice out of that, saying as someone from, from inside the NASCAR media, I appreciate that because we can just kind of break it down and talk about it and, and talk about things that what, what, what do these teams have to do in race number two or race number three to make up for a deficit in race number one? I appreciate that. Now, the reentry, this, this little nugget, I, you know where I thought you were going to go with this? Where? I thought you were going to say if you won a race, you could then choose which driver of the three to replace for the championship. <laughs> no, that, I won't be that crazy. Because that I, I would be irrational. I want to reward people, not, not, uh, not, you know, yeah. get them out of here. That would be irrational. So maybe I should have gone there. Okay. So why, why only the emphasis on the final race? Like they have to dominate the final race. In order, they could win the race, but if they don't win the two stages, they don't win the championship. Correct. I just, okay. I mean, it's like wild card, you know? Um, I wouldn't know but, how else to do it. <laughs> so, okay. okay. All that, right. That, that was just my thought. If you want to, you know, if you want, if you earn your way back in, you have to be at some sort of detriment, right? It's some sort of like seeding detriment. Uh, you can't just be on par with the other three who have already earned their way in. So if you're going to, if you win re-entry back into the final race in the championship race in Phoenix, there has to be some sort of handicap for you and okay. uh, going out and dominating, winning both stages and the race as a requirement, I think at least uh, hinders you pretty well. And seemingly, if you really know how to cheat because you eliminated inspection after the <laughs> initial pre-race inspection, you, this is this is easily doable, right? Like if you if you have a good cheat setup for Phoenix, you can pull this off, right? So I actually, I mean, it's not even like a it's not even like a hack, right? Like it's it's kind of it's it's kind of realistic. I want the innovators to get the spoils. I love the okay. innovators. I love the gray area. I love the, the stories and tales of things that have got past and uh, innovations that have been made. The T-Rex. I, I love stories like that. I'm staring at Tom Jensen's book right now, cheating. I know it has it had its own uh, own chapter in Tom Jensen's wonderful book. Yep. Um, okay. All right. So Alan Kavanaugh's ideal NASCAR embraces the gray area. So. It is my turn. Yeah. And I've is, got. I'm scared of these. Oh, you, <laughs> you should be. Uh, we, I've got five talking points as well. And, uh, I think I'm going to, I'm going to hit you right in the mouth Ooh. right for, on point number one. Here we go. Are you ready? Oh yeah. We crown no champions whatsoever. We do not have a championship. If you don't like the playoffs, they're gone. Don't like stage racing. There's no such thing anymore. There, uh, there is no year in purse to chase. That money is now reallocated to the individual tracks. And you know what this does, Alan? No. You know how we consider some races to be quote unquote majors like the Coca-Cola 600 and the Southern 500? All this means right now, when we refer to them as majors, is that they're held in high regard. Well, high regard does not pay the bills. What if Darlington paid $1.5 million to win the Southern 500? How wild would that be? What if Pocono Mm -hmm. decided, you know what? We've been reduced to a single weekend doubleheader. We want our event 
to matter again, damn it. They've never had a playoff race. They've never had a high stakes event. Well, what if they raised the stakes? What if it was $2 million to win Pocono? It's the track's money. They can do whatever they want. And then all of a sudden, forget championship aspirations. There will be teams saying, well, damn, we need to figure out Pocono no now. We didn't, we didn't pay it any money, but we got to figure out Pocono. And, and then all of a sudden it's, it's a week to week thing. Teams can focus on certain tracks where they know they have strengths and they can cash grab if they see fit. Um, if we're worried about how we crown our champions and let's get rid of it all together. Tennis doesn't have a, a year long championship. Golf, I think has something, but we don't focus on that. We focus on who won the masters, right? Uh, cycling has Tour de France winners. They don't have a point standings. Um, and, and we're kind of in the niche with those other sports. So mm. why are we so worried about how we crown a champion, man? Okay. Why, why, why are we so worried about that? All right. So, all right. So that's point number one. Um, I, I'll, I'll keep going. We can, we can go on um, <laughs> rebuttal afterwards. Point number two, no spotters. Junior Johnson, <laughs> Junior Johnson did not have a spotter. Neither did Richard Petty. Neither did AJ Foyt. Okay. Okay. If you catch my drift. Get those guys off the roof. Get them off the radio. This could this could lead to more crashes, but that could create more restart opportunities, which is my next subject, restarts. Number three, we'll keep them double file. We'll play NASCAR's game of, uh, of bad statistical disparity, but all drivers pick their restart lanes. It is – Like a choose code. It, 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 like a choose cone. It okay. is ridiculous how third place can have a better probability for retention than second place. No more. Put, put your smart people to the test. Choose which lane you want based on what is left for the taking. It's tougher drivers to complain about restarts when they're the ones making the choice. And I think this is right now, other than going single file. And I think those days are over. This is a wild kind of I don't know. This might be the most rational thing I've got, but this this might be the thing that salvages that. Okay. Number four. And Alan, you're a man after my heart, but I'm going to make one change. I say no pre-qualifying or pre-race inspections, only post-race inspections for those who finish high enough and your random draws and then whatever NASCAR does after a race. So with no pre-race inspection. That means that not everyone in the field gets inspected. That the, the rule is, I mean, it's, it's similar to the chili bowl, the, the, where the rule, ba- the only rule basically is it has to look like a midget car and that's kind of it. <laughs> uh, so, and, and that's all I'll say about that, Alan. Let's see if you can read between the lines on, on why I made this rule that way. Uh, point number five, Promotion and relegation across Cup, Xfinity, Ooh. and ARCA. I like we've talked about teams, this. All new teams coming into the sport must start in ARCA, and they have to build their way up from there. There will be a cut line, maybe set an average finish mark uh, for relegation to the smaller series, and then same for promotion to the bigger series. But we talked about this back on episode 17. Considering there are no points and no standings, this is just a tweak, but... Um, we make the race to avoid last 
a little bit more interesting. And I think point number four helps point number five, uh, make drum things up to a large extent. So that is my irrational version of NASCAR. <sighs> Alan, let's go through it. Let's hear it. Okay. No champions. Ridiculous. How, how are you going to have a sport with no champion? I don't understand that. I mean, this is racing. You, I mean, this is season long championships. Just because you don't like how it's done now, you just erase it, the, the entire concept altogether. I don't, I don't love it. I did love who, who, who won, who won the Indianapolis 500 last year? Uh, don't put me on the spot like that. <laughs> I forget, but uh, okay. Well, I'll put it to you this way. Who do you, do you usually remember who won the Indy 500 or do you remember who won the Indy car championship? That's tough because I follow both of them and, uh, I tend to remember both. It was a Penske driver last year, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Simone Pagano. Okay, no, I'm just uh, – you put me on the spot. Pagano yeah, he won, won the Indy 500. Who yes, won the championship? and the New Garden. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm talking to a racer. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, look, I get what you're saying. No, I, I like the positives of your idea. Uh Bigger events, barnstorming ideas, the idea – I mean, I, I love the idea of, of a driver this day and age, you know, like an A.J. Foyt or someone like the, the Tony Stewart's of the world who – or even, you know – I've, I've tweeted before, like, couldn't you imagine Kyle Larson, like, being able to win the 24 hours of Daytona, the Chili Bowl, and the Daytona 500, you know, within eight weeks of each other? I mean, yeah. you know, I, I love that idea of a barnstorming driver or an all-talented an all talented driver that could go out and just show up at a big event and have a shot. That never happens in NASCAR. I think that speaks to the talent level and the technology and all that stuff. But I, I, but I, think, I think that speaks to the lack of teams, too. I think there needs to be... An incentive for new teams. And right now, there, there, to me, there's just a lot of pressure to compete for a full season when, I don't know, I think a, a good, a good route to take is kind of the way prior to 2020 that Gaunt Brothers Racing was just cherry picking tracks that they thought they could perform well at or, or think of it like Brendan Gaunt's team. They were just doing drafting tracks. It sounds that, very old school, like David Pearson type stuff. Yeah, but like why, why would, if you were, if you were starting a new team and you worked your way up through, through ARCA in my model, but you, you got to a point where you could, you know, go to a, go to a track and maybe if you wanted to establish yourself as a road course, a road course specialist team, you would go out and get a road course specialist driver. And then you are existing in the world of the cup series because there's no championship. You don't have to compete for that, but you do have to compete for money. And the way that you choose, uh, to have your livelihood is you're cherry picking road course races, man. Like you, you, you know that it, it might not go well for you at Pocono. You don't even have to show up at Pocono. You're in the cup series because you're, you're maintaining what our designated average finish is. And then you're doing what you feel you do best. I, I don't know. I think it opens it up, but, uh, again, it's completely irrational. So we can't, we can't have a NASCAR cup series without a champion, but I think, uh, I think it'd be a fun thought, uh, thought process. All right. I would miss champions a little. And golf does have the FedEx championship, which pays like $12 million if you win it. So yeah, that's a, a BFD. Uh, let me tell you. I, I couldn't tell you who won that. I think I've watched the masters a couple of times though. All right. Good. Good. <laughs> um, second one, no spotters. Interesting. Uh, which I, I wrote down here. You look, I, I don't know. I don't know when, when did spotters become a thing? I don't know the history of spotters because I mean, as you say, there was clearly a time when there weren't. 
to ha- they have them now, obviously, and yeah. to ha- not have them seems completely irrational. So, w- w- do you know the history of spotting? I'm sorry if, if I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was like the mid '80s, oh, right? Okay. So this this is a fairly new thing, and I, I mean, can and and here's and here's my rebuttal. Can you quantify a good spotter? I mean, is are are they all like as good as Tony Hirschman and TJ Majors? I mean, those guys are fortunate; they have good drivers who. Who, and they have good relationships with them, but are all 40 spotters that, that good? Are we, are, are we sure that our driver, the drivers are even listening to them? I know there was a, uh, there's a USAC driver, um, uh, named Dave Darlin, uh, years ago. And when USAC would go to the mile tracks that were bigger, they required spotters. They don't on the bull rings, but they do it like a track like Iowa Speedway. And Dave Darlin was famous for just shutting his radio off because <laughs> they just needed the guy. They just needed a guy on the roof. They just needed a body. That was kind of it. And Dave Darlin's like, he's, he's an, you know, he's an old guy. He's the people's champ. He didn't need, he didn't need to listen to anybody. So we're sure they're important. I don't know. I think drivers should be allowed to make decisions for themselves. I think that's part of the talent, right? Uh, because you have, Guys pre-spotters that won a lot of races, not having a spotter seems to have done them just fine. Now, of course, this causes crashes, but, uh, we're, uh, we're in an era where we like to see a lot of restarts. And I think this kind of helps that overarching goal. Yeah. And it does bring up, uh, look again, I'd, I'd have to just look into it more, but when you start off in what bandoleros or legends, there's no spotters there, right? I mean, as you, every driver races in a period in their lives where they don't have a spotter. So like at what point is it speed? You know, is it the size of the track that, that, that constitutes the need of a spotter? Like at what point in your career do you get one? You know, dirt drivers differ from pavement drivers. So that, that is an interesting concept. I think we should dig into it. Yeah. So I think I, I do, I think track size does play into it, but I know that in Bandoleros and Legends, um, and I'm not sure if it is still this way. I believe that it is. If their caution comes out, you there have a radio. One there, yeah, there is yeah. one universal uh, person, but but you're a steward, yes. and you you radio everybody, and so everyone yeah. gets the same transmission, so you're aware that there's a crash on the track. But in terms of just go high, go low, go get after him. Decision making, like really, we don't, I do, do. Are you sure we need that? I don't know. I kind of want the driver by himself in the car, just kind of duking it out, and then him and the crew chief uh, figuring things out on how to make the car faster. It reminds me of our number one Cup Series prospect, Chandler Smith, his debut last year in Iowa, if you recall, uh, largely most of the first part of the race, he did it without, uh, without any radio communication. It was not working and, uh, they could hear him and he was telling everybody that it was not working, which you should not do because NASCAR requires you to have a spotter and make it, uh, work and have a working radio and everything. But, uh, he was driving through the field. No problem. His only issue was he didn't know when to pit and, uh, yeah. And, but he did just damn fine without uh, any good radio communication. So that's well, when you get out the, the signboard, Alan. Oh, old school. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. Interesting. I don't know. Again, I guess you could make the argument to not have them, but why get rid of them? I, I don't know. Is it a budget thing or I'm not sure. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> just, I mean, just, I think if, if we're always trying to put things back in the driver's hands, I think, you know, so, so should decision making, right? Like, I mean, just okay. knowing what to do while in traffic. I don't know. Just, just a, just a thought. Rational enough for me. All right. Yeah. Uh, your third one, uh, let drivers determine where they're going to restart. 
look, a lot of, uh, a lot of short trackers will understand this one. Uh, a choose cone, if you don't know, I mean, some, some short tracks, whether you consider it a novelty or just part of the weekly show, uh, tracks will put out a choose cone and you can determine which lane you want to line up in, meaning that if you are second place, you could start on the inside, say, if the leader chooses the outside, or you could choose to start behind the leader on the outside. You have to choose your own lane uh, because, as you know, by listening to this and by watching racing, some lanes are more advantageous than others. Uh, I don't know. At this level, David, what do you think is preventing that? Because this is an irrational thought on your part. So what do you think is preventing that right now? I think the, the word that you said, novelty. I think it is too small time of an idea. I hope that it would be considered because if you're going to have double file restarts on any kind of racetrack, there is going to be a difference between how the grooves are able to retain because one groove is just invariably going to be faster than the next. But this at least puts something back in the team's hands where now it's a decision. You're, it, it's a different kind of mental exertion during the caution uh, flag. You're going to ha- now have to make pretty significant decision on what to do for your ensuing run. And I think, I, I mean, look, I think that's, Pretty important. I mean, that can, that can make or break a race for you. And it's something that already makes or breaks races for drivers in playoff races being paid lots of money, but they didn't have any choice in the matter. So we may as well give them a choice, right? Bring out the cone, brand, brand the damn cone. It can have a sponsor or something, but yeah, it's, it's a novelty. It looks weird as hell, but do it because at least you're putting the the competition back in the competition's hands and not just, you know, a matter of happenstance deciding the outcome of very important races. All right. I, I mean, I'd love it. The cone would certainly have a sponsor because that's what racing is. That, that part it would be credit. It would be credit one. Absolutely. Yeah. They've already signed on <laughs> credit one choose cone. I love I'll, it. I'll broker that right now. Uh, next up, uh, no pre-race inspection. Is that what you went with? Cause I went with no post-race inspection. Really. Yeah. So, so went, tell I'll, me, tell me your thoughts. So I went, I went no pre-race. So here's the, the thought here. And this is kind of in hand with point number five, which is there's a relegation battle, but the teams that know they're probably not going to compete for the win, but they are competing for some of the purse. Um, we, we need to make the whole battle, the, the, the whole field wide battle more stiff. We've got to bring it closer, closer to the front. That, that middle class is weak, frankly. And then the cars that are, that are back markers. Well, you can be a back marker, but still compete to not be a back marker. There, we, we used to have day, we would send people home from qualifying and the cars starting last were actually fast race cars. Well, we're not experiencing those right now. It feels like the Rick Ware cars are battling <laughs> each other. But now if you know that you're not going to be teched, well, there is now a incentive to find some of these skilled gray area workers to make your car faster and to increase those battles. I don't think it is as egregious as when 
baseball owners artfully did not include steroid testing uh, for for a number of years, and the result was the McGuire and Sosa home run battle that brought their next TV deal to a billion dollars, and then they they cried foul about it. Well, that wasn't an accident. You guys left that out on purpose. Well, that, uh, this isn't an accident either, Alan. We're all we're doing is spicing up the back half of the field. I want good competition all across the field. I don't want there to be uh, a known last place finisher. I want there to be some innovation. You can give starts to some smart people. Also, I just like chaos because this is what that would create. And there probably have to, if you get so good at cheating, there have to be a cap on (laughs) where you finish just so you can continue getting away with it. But I don't know that it, it, again, completely irrational, but I kind of love it because I just like sowing chaos. All right. All right. Well, Chaos is irrational, so I think those go hand in hand. And the last one, we hey, we've talked about this, so I like that you're bringing up this idea: promotion and relegation in racing, of all things. We see it in soccer. Uh, David, quickly explain it, and uh, it's certainly irrational. Uh, could we apply it here to racing? The incentive is if you win the championship or finish maybe second place, you move up to the top level. That's that's the whole goal of the tier system in soccer for promotion and relegation. Well, same here. We It's kind of already built for us. There's a Cup Series, there's an Xfinity Series, and there's a tr- uh, Arca Series. We have to skip trucks because different car doesn't really apply to what we're, we're doing here. And plus, the truck series is fun as it is. And it's more of a meritocracy this way, Alan. I think it's interesting. It, again gives attention to battles of a different sort. I've removed championships, but now there's the battle to stay up at the main level and there's the battle to get in to the main level. So um, it increases the curiosity of lower tier series uh, while also uh, enhancing the competition within it. The idea of being relegated out of the cup series is super intriguing and just puts so much on the line uh, I, I can't see it, anyone, you know, actually giving serious thought to that ever, you know, the risk of that. Yeah. But I guess in soccer, it's just accepted over there, uh, across the pond. But yeah, it's hard to wrap your mind around how, how a Rick Hendrick or a Hendrick Motorsports team could suddenly not be in the Cup Series anymore. It's crazy to think about. Which, which of our changes, either yours or mine, do you feel is most likely to actually happen? Oh, that's a good question. I was going to think, say we should look back on this in a few years to see if any of these actually did happen. I think the 500 milers, right? Yeah, just keeping the big, uh, big events to 500 miles and those being, you know, no other event being close to 500 miles. I, I think that, uh, could definitely happen. Um, and I think that, you know, makes them more majors, if you will, you know, it reinforces their, their, their bigness or their, their grandioseness. I'm just making up words at this point, but right. uh, I think those, those are doable. Uh, what, what about you? What do you think is doable? I think I have to agree with you on that one. So, okay. So the Atlanta race didn't happen, but it was scheduled to go 500 miles. Yeah. No, no, thank you. It, in its stead was an iRacing event. Uh, I, I know you watched it, but I'm going to ask this question. Was it 500 simulated miles no it was a hundred laps and it was almost Ooh. 90 minutes and i gotta say you know i love love the i racers i love the, the esports world but uh you know tuning in for 90 minutes i was like this is taking a long time you know we're in this fast culture i'm watching on a computer or my phone like but, i shouldn't stare you, at that for 90 minutes but do you know what that tells me though what is uh okay so so this event just sort of happened there there was a decision 
to be made about what would keep people's interests the best. And that was, that was a choice. And their choice was 100 laps and inside 90 minutes. Whereas we've been running 500 mile races because tradition and that's interesting to me. So that, that kind of tells me that at least within NASCAR, there's a thought process of meh, maybe even though it's a simulated race, <laughs> don't know that an Atlanta race needs to go 500 miles or at least have our fans sit in front of the television for upwards of four hours. That is interesting. Yes. And of course, full disclosure, I am a television broadcaster. Television gets paid through advertising. So the longer the race, the more breaks. So like, um, let's just, obviously I know that I know uh, how my pockets are lined right now, but I'm just saying there's, I'm sure there's a happy medium for everybody in this. Well, we, we, we said up front, this was completely irrational. Yes. Completely so, yeah, irrational. You're taking, you're taking money out of your own pocket here. That was your choice. Uh, no, very that, rational on my part. <laughs> yeah. Not, yeah. So it turns out that might be the least rational thing you said. Huh. Okay. Oh, good times. Well, good stuff. If you listen this far, then I hope you are chiming in on Twitter and sending us your own irrational ideas because why not? We have, uh, we got a lot of time on our hands and we love to talk racing, even if it's, uh, irrational ideas and decisions. So, uh, why not? Make sure you send those to us at PauseRegPod. Uh, David, that leads us into to next week because if you, if you have a question about our irrational decisions, maybe you want to ask it because, uh, we're going to answer it next week, aren't we, David? Yeah. So next week's show, um, listen, if you, you, if you have a question, uh, for Alan or myself, uh, send it, uh, via Twitter at posregpod. That is P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. The, the nerdier the question, the weirder the question, the more likely that we will answer your question. So, um, so send them our way. Uh, I'll also, uh, throw up the bat signal on Twitter as well, uh, to remind uh, any of our followers. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's make a show of it next week. I'm, I'm up for some, some whimsical answers, uh, to some wild questions, Alan. And usually on our Q and A episodes, our listeners deliver. So I'm excited. They absolutely do. And we've been gaining listeners. It's been a great start to the season. I know there's, we talked about the bad stuff going on in the world, but let's try to keep some of that momentum going because, uh, I think we're gaining fans, David, and, and people are, are seeing the light when it comes to, green flag pit cycles or restart preference. Uh, it's, it's, it's a slow growth, but it's been pretty fun so far. So I, I think we'll get some good questions for next week and uh, we need some content. So we'll talk about it all. It'll be great. Uh, don't forget, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Luminary. We're available no matter your device. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or review. That stuff in the podcast world, it really does help. Uh, you helping spread the word as well. Tell your friends about us. Uh, we're that podcast, uh, unlike many others in NASCAR. So anytime you uh, tell someone about it or leave us a rating or review, it really is appreciated. David, I I hate to ask, what are you working on? I know you, cause this is the best part about the athletic. You guys have great ideas and original ideas. So I, I bet you're going to come up with some cool stuff, even though we're not racing at the moment. Uh, yeah, for, well, for the short term, it is pretty busy. Uh, this week on the athletic, I have uh, already posted some book recommendations for the auto racing enthusiast. Uh, the caveat was that these were books that I actually own and have read. So it is NASCAR heavy. There is one IndyCar book on the list. Um, there are plenty of great books about racing out there. Uh, so read that column and drop off a recommendation of your own in the comments section. If you're inclined, I think we'd all appreciate some ways to pass the time. We love racing. We love reading about racing. 
so if you think you've got a good recommendation, bring it along. Also, uh, right now working with uh, my colleague Jordan Bianchi on a few projects, one of which is a big free agency piece where we will speculate on where the top NASCAR free agents end up for 2021. And if that is not posted this week, it is certainly on the way. So keep your eyes peeled. Excellent. And I will be reading a lot of your content and your suggestions and just absorbing it all. Um, Race Hub is off. If you're listening to this on Thursday, first of all, thank you. You are a subscriber. Uh, but right now we are just uh, abiding by all the guidelines and unfortunately taking a sabbatical, a hiatus over at Fox from our studio shows, but I hope to be back as soon and as quickly as possible. But you can find me on Twitter at Alan Cavana and uh, let's just talk some racing. Uh, I'll trade, you know, Rusty Wallace pictures with you. We'll talk diecast. I got plenty of those to talk about. Well, we'll figure out something to do, but we'll be back hopefully sooner than later. Uh, and look forward to be ba- being back here on Positive, Pod- Positive Regression next week with you guys as well. But uh, yeah, hey, look, as we said at the beginning, strange times, David. I, I appreciate that uh, you and I can still talk some racing and hopefully share it with the listeners and, uh, Get, you know, give us a little time to fill during the, these weeks of distraction. But uh, hopefully we can be back sooner, uh, soon enough and, and have some racing to talk about. Here, here. All right. Good stuff. Episode 53 of Positive Aggression. Really appreciate you listening. Stick with us. Stick together. And uh, we'll be back at the track as soon as we can. But come back next week as well. For David Smith, I'm Alan Cavana. This is Positive Aggression. Coming to bed, hon? Yep, honey, I'll be right there. Just gotta turn out the light. Ow! 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 Ah! Some things never change. Like your kids always leaving tiny toys on the floor for you to step on. And Geico saving folks lots of money on their car insurance. Sweetie, I think I left the downstairs light on. Please don't make me go. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.